Hello, my name is Karen Taylor and I'm the CEO of Invest Africa. I'm delighted to be joined today by Amir Hussein, Senior Underwriter, Political Risk and Trade Credit at Africa Specialty Risks, and by Robert Bessling, Founder and CEO of Pangea Risk. Thank you both for taking the time to share your thoughts and insights with our members as we discuss what lies ahead politically and economically for the countries on the African continent in 2023. 2023 is a busy year for elections in Africa. Nigeria, coming up in uh, February, have their presidential and national assembly elections. And these two terms in office for President Buhari since he started his presidency back in 2015. With this in mind, Robert, could you give us your thoughts on the political landscape of Africa for next year? And, and really, which are the key dates that investors and businesses should bear in mind when planning their programs? I think, first of all, on the topic of elections, I think it's important to note that elections in Africa do matter. In 2022, we have seen uh, important and successful elections in democracies like Kenya, and we've even seen uh, evolutions, political and democratic evolutions in places like Angola. And that's a trend that will likely continue into 2023, where, first of all, the most populous country in Africa will hold its uh, general elections from presidential and legislative uh, uh, all the way down to state level in February and March. The first round in March, excuse me, in February, obviously, uh, in 2023, and the second round at some other elections in March. Um, and this will be crucial because, yes, Aaron, as you mentioned, that the two-term president is, is uh, due to leave office, uh, Mr. Buhari, and he's leaving the country with a lot of challenges going ahead. Um, and... To pinpoint a few of these, I think obviously the security situation in, in Nigeria is becoming increasingly uh, disconcerting, um, almost demonstrated on a daily basis with attacks on the uh, independent uh, Nigerian Electoral Commission. So quite a bit of a worrying omen potentially for the country going into those elections. I think it's interesting that neither of the two main candidates um, have many different uh, po economic uh, policies. Uh, although they do have some interesting uh, reforms in the security sphere. And then later in 2023, we will see elections in places like Sierra Leone and neighboring Liberia, also in Zimbabwe and Madagascar. And here, Karen, it's important to note that these countries have some of the highest inflation rates in all of Africa uh, and the highest food price inflation rates uh, in the world. So we're not just talking about political transitions in these countries, um, but we're also talking about potential threat of unrest because of food insecurity. And I think very much the political process in 2023 will be intertwined with food security or food insecurity issues. And it'll be important to monitor uh, as these key elections happen in 2023, the threat of unrest uh, and any political indicators that could drastically change the outlook for these countries. And last but not least, the Democratic Republic of Congo, one of the fastest growing economies in Africa, lots of optimism about this country, again, will be hosting or be holding its elections at the end of 2023. The last time the Congo had elections, they were delayed and they were disputed. Uh, and to this day, there are still disputes about the outcome of those elections. So let's assume it will be a turbulent lead up to those Congolese elections. Um, 
although the incumbent uh, and the current government have made notable progress uh, over the last few years in uh, reforming the economy, building relations with uh, not just China, but other investors, uh, and improving the investment outlook of the DRC. So lots of, of enthusiasm and optimism about this country, uh, despite some of the negative headlines that we see in the media about security and politics, etc. So, Karen, we need to look at, at the trends set for 2000 and in 2022 for looking at the year ahead. And of course, as I said earlier, that the threat of unrest, we really have to keep monitoring in all of these elections. Thank you very much, Robert. As you say, it's difficult to predict. Um, we, we were fortunate to see Kenya come through with a very peaceful election this year. And we can only hope that 2023 and other countries will produce similar uh, results for other countries as, as the democracies are actually maturing. I think I'd like to add some points on the elections, uh, which Robert has, has rightly picked up. Uh, look, for people doing business in Africa, I think the key risks are gridlock prior to an election, uh, potential political violence during, during an election, and post-election, the possibility of contract alterations. However, I want to try to allay some of these concerns, because I think today Africa as a continent is one where the election narrative is not necessarily ideological, but rather based on personalities and politics. I think economic policies may vary, but there is a level of underlying policy stability. I think we can contrast that with perhaps even South America, where you know every couple of election cycles potentially uh, countries alternate between capitalism and maybe full-blown socialism. And because of those large policy swings, there's a possibility of people uh, losing their life savings. I think in Africa, that isn't the case anymore. Uh, look, democracy doesn't work perfectly in Africa. Uh, I think even yesterday we saw an example of where a lady member of the Senegalese parliament uh, was physically assaulted by a male member on the opposite side. But having said that, I think there's a recognition that you know, African countries at a very base level need foreign direct investment, need to trade with the world, and the policies whichever government comes into play need to be stable and conducive to that. And, and you know, I even dare say that where democracy fails and security issues lead to military dictatorships, there is still an underlying recognition that the economy and the population demands stability. So, yes, there are concerns about uh, political violence, contract alteration and gridlock. But I think, you know, the continent as a whole is moving in the right direction. So, Amir, if I may, can I ask you then, how do you expect the political and credit risk insurance market to respond to this heightened risk environment um, that we've been discussing uh, for 2023? Look, I would start by saying that the political and credit risk product arose out of the need to protect investors and lenders involved in foreign direct investment and international trade from political and geopolitical events. I mean, the Lloyds of London market has been doing this for well in excess of 40 years. I guess my point in saying that is that it is these very circumstances, elections, economic, uh, weaker economic environments, that the market is designed to protect investors, lenders, exporters, etc. I think the best test of our market's resilience was actually COVID. And whilst there was an element of a short pullback, I think the market has come back stronger with new players far outnumbering exits. 
the market has actually been tested since its inception. Uh, we could talk about the Mexican defaults in the 1980s, the breakup of the USSR, the Latin American expropriation craze, 9-11, financial crisis, Asian financial crisis, end of the commodities super cycle, and COVID. Last this year, during 2022, we were tested with a number of unforeseen events. For example, the extension of the war outside Tigray to almost the capital in Addis Ababa, uh, the Battle of Palma, and potential losses arising out of forced abandonment cover. Look, the market um, will respond uh, as it has always responded very positively uh, because that is what we're here to do. In that respect, I think it would be remiss of me not to mention Africa's specialty risks. I mean, we started in 2020, started underwriting in 20, February of 2020. 21, and we're wholly focused on the African continent across eight classes of business, including uh, credit and political risk cover. Uh, I mean, our goal has been to facilitate investments in trade with and in Africa. Uh, by the way, we do this by not only underwriting business that our peers see coming in to the London market or the Paris market, but we also work with African corporates, banks, and parastatals with business that stays in the continent and does not necessarily come to the London insurance market. I mean, we have deployed significant amounts of capacity over our first year. And I, I think I, I can share with you that since our inception or since the start of our underwriting in 2021, we've exceeded 100 million of gross premium uh, since that period across all of our lines of business. I mean, a manifestation of that is our recent partnership with Africa Re, whereby we're making significant inroads into helping players in Africa see the benefits of political and credit risk. And, and all of this in order to facilitate the growth uh, of the continent. So I, I would say the market as a whole, as well as Africa's specialty risks, uh, will respond quite positively to the uncertainties and, and the opportunities that 2023 brings. If I may, I want to just touch on the pandemic. And although we hope to have seen off um, the worst of it by now, it did definitely increase the risk of defaults. It has certainly caused heavier debt burdens for countries. And I would just like to, to get the view from both of you. Where do you see the sort of debt default situation going next year? Is there anything that countries can do to avoid this? Um, you know, what is your feeling regarding this? And, and I think here, particularly about cases like Zambia, where we were taking an investor mission in, in Q1, I'd like to get your thoughts on that and other markets across the continent. So I think, first of all, your Invest Africa timing for a, an investor mission to Zambia in Q1 2023 should be well-timed because we are expecting an IMF uh, program and debt restructuring to be finalized. Uh, around that time. Uh, and that really leads us to the conversation of, you know, how serious is this debt sustainability issue? Who is going to be impacted? And when? That's really the key question. And there's a lot of scaremongering out there. There's been a lot of negative headlines uh, and, and a lot of worrying reports. And I think it's important to look at the actual facts and look at the maths behind it all as well. At Pangea Risk, we've been looking over the past few quarters specifically at which countries owe what by when. First of all, the risk of default in 2023 
will be relatively mitigated by particularly the IMF's intervention, by uh, relative economic growth where elsewhere in the world we're seeing recession. And, and like Amir uh, uh, pointed out as well, a number of the key political risks such as expropriation, uh, uh, contract frustration, as well as sovereign default, are lower in Africa than other places in the world. Yes, we saw a, a default in, in Zambia. Uh, we even saw a very temporary default in Mali, which was very much localized, did not affect uh, Eurobond uh, credit holders. What we are going to see is by 2024, this is when the big Eurobond capital repayment and other major obligations start to fall due, that's when we will see a number of countries that are currently distressed fail to make payments unless they take action now. What can they do? Well, obviously, many countries like Ghana and others can no longer go to international debt markets. They've been locked out of those, right? So will there then be a economic turnaround in which foreign exchange will be generated from these key uh, investment sectors? In Ghana's case, it's gold or oil and gas or, or, or soft crops like cocoa. But again here, the global economic downturn and we've been using that phrase for a long time, but certainly in 2023, we're looking at continued inflation in many parts of the world and, and continued recession in parts of the world as well. And demand for Africa's exports will therefore be lower. And that then raises the concern that there will not be sufficient foreign exchange to service, let alone repay these debts. So, Karen, the, the, the alternative is debt restructuring, and that should be the key word for 2023. But I think the most interesting ones to watch in terms of debt restructuring are not the uh, multilateral big frameworks like the G20 common framework, but it's the bespoke bilateral debt restructurings. Kenya will all certainly need both a domestic and external debt reprofiling. And a number of other countries are also filling into, into this profile. And I think it's interesting to look at the precedent set by countries like Angola, a Republic of Congo, which have already finished, completed successful or bilateral debt restructurings over the past two years during the pandemic. So my key message here, Karen, on this topic is that don't only look at the scaremongering headlines because there's lots of those. And there's lots of analysts and, and reporters out there uh, talking about threat of default in 2023. But the maths shows that it actually will be later from 2024 onwards, so we should be concerned. And there are still various solutions like a debt restructuring or a, a, a retirement and replacing of expensive domestic bonds with concessional debt, which may actually alleviate this whole concern by 2024. That's really interesting insight there, um, Robert. I mean, your points around Ethiopia, for example, just what uh, that country needs to to regain the lost ground over the last uh, two years, and and I'm interested to hear Amir, if you know, taking Robert's point there about scaremongering, comparing Africa with the broader world and other specific countries, and perhaps even um, global companies. How how is Africa faring in in a sort of global context on this point? Sure, Karen, I I would agree with Robert that I think. Uh, we need to bring some perspective to this. Look, there's a couple of points here. Clearly, we have to acknowledge the fact that the world is going through an economic slowdown. The imme one immediate impact of that is higher interest rates due to inflation in the developing world, and therefore a reassessment of risks across emerging and frontier markets, and really, therefore, a withdrawal of capital. 
and capital being more expensive. However, this is nothing new. We've seen this happen through cycles. And you started off by discussing COVID. I mean, I think, you know, COVID was uh, a major test of this in that given the complete destruction of demand, you know, many of these countries had far higher debt to GDP ratios than they do now. And even then, only one country in Africa defaulted, namely Zambia. Admittedly, the reason why only one country defaulted was because of a massive multilateral response in recognition of the fact that the problem was one that individual countries couldn't tackle on their own. However, I think that did create a blueprint for preventing potential liquidity shortfalls from becoming solvency issues. I think since then, thankfully, due to the efforts of multilaterals such as a Frexen Bank, uh, by the way, who work very uh, much with our market, as well as AFC, these institutions have almost become lenders of last resort. So COVID gave us a blueprint of how to potentially avoid, you know, countries going into into bankruptcy. Now, at the same time, today, I think we have to acknowledge that we're in a state of permacrisis. I mean, we're, we're going from one crisis to another. I think in light of that, we also have to acknowledge that sometimes the problems that African countries and developing countries face vis-a-vis debt are unlinked, not linked to the particular country, but rather the world environment. You know, we can't forget, for example, that African countries' debt to GDPs, current debt to GDPs, are sometimes significantly lower than those in Europe or G7 or the G20. So inevitably, these countries will need help. And I think Robert is right that we should talk about restructuring because problem doesn't entirely lie with these countries. That does actually lead me to a more fundamental question, which I think it would be remiss of us not to ask. And and, and that question is, you know, why do African and developing countries continuously find themselves facing these external shocks, whereas in the developed world, countries don't. I mean, clearly one answer is developing countries don't have the ability to add value to their products, meaning their terms of trade are poorer. Therefore, they have current account deficits. Therefore, they need to borrow hard currency externally to finance infrastructure, finance people's welfare. But I think that's only part of the answer. The reality is that you know, developing countries don't have a level playing field, and that has to change. Robert is, I believe, actually referring to the fact that we have a little bit of time to work through this problem. You know, we have the whole of 2023 almost. And I think that level playing field has to be looked at. And perhaps it can't be changed in one year, but I think certain things can be done. A a recent example of this is, you know, the special drawing rights of 650 billion that were made available uh, to augment foreign reserves. Believe it or not, only 33 billion out of 650 were allocated to Africa. 
And then the majority of that was allocated to three or four of the largest African economies because that allocation was based on the size of the economies rather than the need that these economies had. Of course, African countries have to do their part to achieve that as well. And, and frankly, namely to create trust through rule of law, accountability, policy stability, etc. But I think, you know, the problem is a little bit broader and the problem is not always the making of the countries in question, the countries that potentially face default. And if during the early parts of 2023, the world and especially African countries, they can uh, button down on financial discipline, uh, we might actually end up in a better position at the end of 2023 with better hope for no defaults in 2024. Thank you, Amir. There was a lot in that response that we could certainly take on board. You know, a Frexham Bank being the lender of last resort. I think a Frexham Bank have taken a, a strategic role since the pandemic. They've really come to the fore, along with the AU, in leading Africa into providing its own solutions to Africa's own problems. And I think that will actually perhaps bring about the point that you raise around trust in terms of African governments and Africa as a continent. And I think we need to commend Afrexum Bank for their role in, in doing that. Africa certainly has enormous positive attributes. And I think a lot of this perhaps came to the fore at COP27, colloquially known as Africa's COP, really brought to the fore the importance of the African extractive sector in terms of influencing global energy transition and how that is going to have a hugely important role to play in, in these um, next few years in terms of trying to meet our net zero targets around the world, not in Africa. And I, I just wondered if I could come to both of you, where do you see the opportunities then? And uh, you know, what are the actual sectors and markets that investors can look towards from a positive perspective? Uh, thank you, Karen. That That's a fundamental question. Look, I think we really do need to look beyond the high exposure to debt, beyond the commodities dependency, beyond climate change. Africa specialty risks, we spend a lot of time on the ground in Africa. And I think the point I would like to first make is that we see a real zeal for improvement, perhaps uh, as strong as it was at the time of independence of many of these countries. An example of that zeal we see in the form of the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. Now, look, a lot has been spoken about the Continental Free Trade Agreement and, and the benefits of it. But from a personal experience point of view, what we see is that almost every African multilateral bank corporate have has inbuilt this potentially continent-altering initiative into their growth plans. Uh, indeed, we have uh, as, as a business which focuses exclusively on Africa. If the Continental Free Trade Agreement were to work, and, and we see no reason why it shouldn't work because the impetus is there across the board, you know, it will actually lead to more value-added products, a bigger industrial base, higher paying jobs, an ability of Africa to hold its own vis-a-vis -vis other countries as well as uh, global trading blocks. Before I go on to sectors, I, I also like to make one other point. I think people sometimes forget how big Africa is and by inference, the size and strength of its informal economy. I think we forget that 
African economies are actually more resilient and larger than they appear. You know, my job, for example, is to be on the ground to gain a sense of the risk rather than just basing my analysis on balance sheet underwriting sitting in London. You know, quite often there are very bankable projects in Africa but because of the unwillingness to do on the ground due diligence they don't always take off and you know moving on now i guess to sectors i mean we see that in healthcare in ict in agriculture and other sectors but the sector i'd perhaps most like to comment a little bit on is green projects you know africa is supremely abundant in green minerals you know the extraordinary concentration of nickel graphite uh, cobalt lithium coltan i mean zimbabwe has the second largest deposit of platinum in the world drc has 70% of the global cobalt production as the green minerals are developed for the battery economy and the new future economy there'll be a alongside the continental free trade agreement there'll be a creation of regional and industry wide value chains that help to create high value exports and i think that is the key opportunity for africa thank you amir you picked up on a lot of those opportunities and and it's good to hear them and i particularly like your point about being there it is difficult to do business development and to source opportunities on the continent uh sitting in in London or any any other place outside of the continent um you only have to be there to to see the opportunities robert if you would like to come in at this stage and just give me your thoughts on where you see the opportunities lying ahead uh, as amir did talking about sectors or perhaps you'd like to look at markets i'd just be um interested to hear what what your thoughts are thank you karen you know this time of year we do exactly this type of exercise internally at at Pangea Risk where we look at the key opportunities for the year ahead particularly try and pinpoint trends and countries where we see a potential real or noticeable improvement in the country risk outlook on which our clients then can actually act ahead of time so this is actually exactly what 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 we are doing internally and our thought process has certainly covered quite a few of the points that that both you Karen and and Amir uh, have made i think normally we would go for the more economically diversified countries with sound fiscal and monetary policy making but a number of those countries recently have underperformed um for example a country place like Ghana Uh, or various others where uh, governance issues have trumped economic opportunity and i think it will be interesting in 2023 so if you look at pure gdp economic growth rates over the coming year those economically diversified markets will be overtaken by those commodity producers in particular i want to point out natural gas at lots of the the, the enthusiasm around africa has been green energy and i completely agree with amir that this will remain a crucial opportunity going into next year but at the same time the circumstances globally particularly the need in europe um for an access to new supplies of natural gas are being seen indeed at cop27 as you pointed out uh, karen uh, but also across the african continent and the european commission has, has pinpointed a number of african countries as as they call countries of real interest in exploiting these natural gas reserves and these are uh, mozambique which uh, this week officially launched its its coral flng 
project, then Senegal and Mauritania, which will start production uh, of their gas in 2023, as will Guinea, Guinea-Conakry. And then Tanzania is a little bit behind, but again, there the government is working on the framework agreement and various others to try and ensure that the development of natural gas sector there uh, also uh, falls back into, into, into line, into anticipations. So I think, I know fossil fuels are not a trendy uh, and, and not, not uh, what investors are looking for these days, but in Africa, you cannot discount fossil fuels, in particular natural gas. Senegal will be the fastest growing economy in Africa in 2023, completely outpacing your more careful, diversified, well-governed countries like Cote d'Ivoire, like Benin, like Rwanda, like Kenya and others. We have to talk about South Africa as well. And I'm always a little bit biased, potentially uh, uh, in terms of the negativity or the positivity associated with South Africa, but it remains the continent's most developed economy. The reason for my bias is because I've, I've lived in South Africa for the past 15 years or so. And at the moment, if you look at South African headlines, it's all about scandal and potential uh, uh, disputes in the ruling party and the power, the load shedding and the power cuts that we have in the country. But at the same time, in a few months' time, we may actually have an opportunity for the government to start rolling out a highly ambitious reformist agenda that will deal with many of these issues, like an accumulating debt uh, burden, like these power cuts, which are having such a detrimental impact on the economy, and also liberalization and privatization. So there are a number of African countries out there which have successfully rolled out privatization, reformist, liberalization schemes. Ethiopia is one to mark here as well. And I think it's these ones that we need to look at in 2023, and they will be the ones where we see the real opportunity. Thank you very much, Robert, and, and also to Amir. And I just pick up on a couple of those, those points there. You know, Africa's big deficit is infrastructure. We all know that. It hasn't come up in the conversation today because we all know that fact too well. But infrastructure needs energy, and therefore it's not surprising that um, both of you have brought up energy as, as the, the sector that will be front of mind for investors either green energy, um, supplying those, um, those rare earth minerals and um, extractives needed for um, sustainable, renewable energy, or indeed, as you say, Robert, natural gas, which is part of a, a managed transition. And um, we were fortunate enough to be on uh, an investor mission in Tanzania and, and met with the, the gas project that is being developed off the coast of Tanzania, met with the development team. And Zambia as well. President Hichilema hanging his hat on the mining sector. Again, he needs to develop the energy sector to support the mining sector. So they go hand in hand. Um, finally, Robert, really interesting to hear about the South African reformist agenda. I think you and I will both agree that investors and business have been extremely patient and um, perhaps at long last, that payback will now uh, come their way. Uh, we certainly need it in the southern part of Africa to drive a lot of the uh, smaller economies um, that are surrounding it. So uh, South Africa remains an absolutely crucial part of the continent's sort of future outlook. Gentlemen, on that note, I mean, we have completed an amazing tour de force across the continent. We've touched on a number of points, political and economic. 
looking ahead to 2023. Would I be able to take this opportunity to come back to each of you and say, in a sentence, what 2023 looks like for you? Amir, I'll come to you first. What, what does it look like for Africa speciality risk? I believe the continent is uh, promises a vast amount of opportunity in 2023, as we've had in 2022. Robert, your thoughts, please. Karen, I think if you're looking for one sentence or rather even some couple of key words, it is debt restructuring, natural gas and reform. Those are your key words for 2023. Well. Uh, on that note, um, it's been a pleasure to speak with both of you today. I have Robert Messling, founder and CEO of Pangia, and Amir Hussain, senior underwriter for political risk insurance and trade at Africa Specialty Risks. Both of you, thank you very much for your time and look forward to catching up with you on the continent in 2023. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you very much, Karen. Hello.